This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. My name's Tyler Smythe and you're tuned in to Bite Into It here on 3RRR FM, the show where we keep you updated on everything to do with tech, gaming, startups and all that jazz. It's just me in for tonight, but we do have an excellent show coming up for you in the next hour. Tonight on Byte, we have developer Stephen Cooper calling in to speak with us about platforms and APIs, as well as his work as a tech evangelist. I'm sure it'll be an enlightening chat for us all. We've also got a couple of discussions about some interesting articles I've found on the internet and in the local news. Uh, On to news here on Byte. Um, The time is 7.07pm. We're with you until 8 Uh, While Australia leads the world in the use of rooftop solar power, some experts say there could be soon too much power coming online and governments will have little choice but to cut subsidies. Government figures show that last year 3.5 million solar panels were installed on Australian rooftops, um, an average of almost 10,000 a day. Um, Tony Wood, the energy program director at the Grattan Institute, said a big incentive for people, for many people to adopt solar was simply because they want to save money. Um, but he warns that that could change in the future. We're getting to the point now, he says, where the amount of solar power being produced in the middle of the day is so much that it can start to have an impact on the stability of the grid, where energy companies will not be able to afford to pay back subsidies because the electric- electricity is losing its value. Um, could not predict exactly when that time would come, but it uh, could mean an end to cheaper power for those with solar panels. Um, one solution uh, proposed by him is the adoption of uh, battery storage. Um, about 20,000 home batteries were installed in Australia last year, more than triple the number installed in 2016, but it's still well behind the uptake of solar. Um, so it's still quite a while away, but that could be a solution for you if that's um, the boat that you were in. Um, there has been a call for an improvement in public sector cybersecurity. Um, Ma- Margaret Crawford, the state's Auditor General um, for New South Wales, has uh, got a case study here where it took one New South Wales government agency 49 days to shut down a hack by fraudsters. Um, the hacked account sent out 450 bogus emails where 300 staff had clicked on the link inside. 200 email accounts were under the control of the criminals, yet it failed to temporarily lock the accounts. It was not until day 36 that the IT provider reported the incident to the government's chief information security officer, and then another six days later, it was found that the account that had been hacked at the start was still compromised. Um, there has been a call from Ms Crawford in this study uh, to that more needs to be done to protect our systems. In lighter news, um, Twitter chief executive Jack Dorsey said um, is looking to make Twitter less toxic. In a slew of tweets, Twitter chief executive Jack Dorsey said the company is starting to look at the problems on its network differently. Rather than simply looking at how it can effectively take down troubling content, he said, the company will also begin looking at how it can encourage and foster better conversation in the first place. We've focused most of our efforts on removing content against our terms instead of building a systemic framework to help encourage more healthy debate, conversations and critical thinking, Dorsey said. This is the approach we now need. And as a user of Twitter myself, I think that's an excellent step. It's a change in the mindset of the people that needs to be done more than just removing the uh, offending parties. Um, There's a lot of bullying, as you would know. Um, What do you think? if you could, uh, maybe you could send us an email at biteintoit at gmail dot, uh, sorry, at triple r dot org. And we'd love to hear from you. 
is an article here I've got in the Herald Sun about smart roadways. Uh, the state's best minds in the public and private sector are at the forefront of a global push to build a smart transport system that communicates with itself at all times, with much of our road network to be digitally connected within the next tech 10 years, some experts say. Under the system, there would be things like uh, GPS journey guides would be tailor-made to cut down travel times. Traffic lights would adjust automatically to bring trams and buses back on schedule. Um, so at the moment, there are already Bluetooth sensors measuring the flow of cars at almost every key intersection uh, or signal site in Melbourne. When demand gets to a certain level, though, the system doesn't have the smarts to fine-tune and balance the network. But they're things we're exploring, um, says uh, VicRoad's Journey Services Director, Samim Mosler. Um, Freeways already have sensors beneath the roads that manage traffic flows to minimise nose-to-tail crashes, um, but there are a lot of possibilities that could be happening in the connectivity of uh, our road system that would make things much more convenient for us. I suggest you read that article if you'd like to learn more. On the line at the moment, we have uh, Stephen Cooper. Stephen Cooper is a developer and platform and API evangelist who is a regular speaker and mentor at tech and developer events around the globe. Stephen has represented tech companies such as PayPal and Braintree working towards developing and nurturing the startup and developer culture that continues to grow today. Uh, with over 20 years experience in the industry as a tech lead and senior developer, Steve has come in to speak with us on Byte today. Uh, are you there, Steve? Yes, I am. Ah, hey, how's it going? Good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm going great. Um, so tell us, what are you working on at the moment? <laughs> Actually, we're achieving one of our uh, SDKs, some of our SDKs from uh, to the to the a new version to push out to the Telstra GitHub. Oh, great, excellent. Um, uh, I've I've noticed in your uh, press release and your bios that you are uh, describe yourself as a tech evangelist. Could you explain that? Uh, how how you would define that? Yep, so basically a tech evangelist or a developer evangelist is somebody that goes out and works closely with uh, developer communities everywhere and then uh, also on the company side. So um, being that liaison between you know, the company side of things and then also the, the community, the developer engagement piece. Excellent, excellent. So um, uh, what, what is your focus when, you, when you're working, working like this? Like, uh, are you, like you said, uh, you're an expert on platform and APIs. So um, uh, what, what do you focus on when you work with these startups? Um, really, it's about finding the best solution for the for the startup. So, when sort of mentoring with or um, working closely with startups, it's it's about finding the right solution that fits them. And yeah, you know, sometimes that isn't you know, the, the stuff that you have on hand. Sometimes it's you know other other products. But essentially, it's trying to help the help nurture and sort of grow the startup um, by getting them the right platforms um, sort of uh, off off the bat. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Um, yeah. So. What are some common mistakes that you, you sort of see uh, working with these? Um, even like, so, uh, I spent some time as a CTO most of last year. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things um, even I was sort of looking towards was um, customers costing fractions of fractions of cents. So generally with, with a, um, a platform stack, the, the first thing you should have in your mind is, you know, how much, how much is this customer interaction costing me, uh, not only creating sort of database space, but also log files. Every time someone clicks something on a, on a website or mm -hmm. in, in a mobile app, it's, it's essentially costing, you know, fractions of cents. So you want to keep that as low as possible, especially when you start to scale. Excellent. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I had no idea. Like, uh, I'm not a programmer or, uh, myself, um, but it, it's really interesting to, to hear these sort of things. Um, 
maybe maybe you could uh, explain APIs uh, in layman's terms to the audience. Uh, <laughs> it would it would be a good thing, uh, I think. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and APIs basically are a uh, programmatic gateway to be able to connect um, devices directly into um, platforms. Um, and, it, and it means inside the actual app, you can um, expose services and sort of seamless experiences to consumers. Um, so a good example is like a payments API that mm-hmm. uh, hooks straight into the likes of PayPal or through, through the Braintree stack. But from a consumer point of view, you just hit the button and magic happens. Yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, so, so how does that difference, differentiate between a, a GUI, like a graphic user interface? Um, yeah. so the API is more the, um, the code side, so the back end of the app, whereas mm-hmm. the GUI or the, the, the front end interface is literally the consumer-facing product. So that's a nice big shiny button that you'd normally see that yeah. when you hit, does a whole bunch of magic. Yeah, excellent. Just like the big uh, shiny skin for everyone to see on the front end. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I find it really interesting um, ha- with uh, some of the uh, the companies that you've you've worked with uh, over over your career. Um, you've configured and spec technology for like Samsung and Virgin uh, and like that. That um, do you have any advice uh, for developers out there that were looking to work for larger companies and uh, and sort of um, how you would get into and get into that? I suppose. Um, I think it's about, as a developer, and like mm-hmm. even as something I've always been very mindful of, is you're always willing to embrace a new technology. Um, there's always opportunities to new, use new stuff, and particularly in some of the you know, technology circles, there's always um, things move so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one thing I've always done is sort of um, kept an open mind in approaching and picking up new tech, and you know, we, we all start with Hello World at some point in time. <laughs> uh, excellent. Um, so, uh, so, your um, work as a uh, evangelist, um, how what what sort of uh, impacts have you seen that make directly from from your work? How how, is, how have you influenced uh, the industry in ways that you could you could explain to us? Um, yeah. Well, even um, it's, yeah, it's pretty pretty broad, but um, yeah, of course, yeah, sorry, broad that, question. But, yeah, <laughs> one that comes to mind will be um, sort of even even the engagement we've done through hackathons over the mm. years. Like, uh, I've seen some amazing stuff come out of hackathons, and st- like you never know what you're going to see at a hack. There's um, probably the mo- two most memorable things I ever saw turn up to a hackathon. I was either like involved with mentoring, or judging, and whatnot. Uh, there was a toilet that turned up to a hack. A team brought a brand, it was brand new. It had not been used, but um, they turned up with a whole bunch of IoT like, <laughs> boards and circuits and a brand new com- toilet. Um, <laughs> the other one that, other one that sort of comes to mind is uh, in Japan. We, one of the hacks we ran in Japan one time. Uh, there was a team that produced like a robotic uh, rabbit ear that would um, move. Uh, the more happy you were at a movie. Oh, really? The idea was the sort of twitch, um, and the more happy you are, then the the more you paid for the movie. (laughs) What an excellent idea. How how, how did that work? Uh, What what sensors was it using to, to, or what data was it it gathering? Do you remember? Yeah, it was using, yeah, it was using, oh, I was so curious as well, I had to find out. Yeah. Um, But they they were using an Arduino alpha sensor to pick up the brainwaves and then just a, a, 
normal sort of low-powered Arduino. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> the, the the creative the creativity of some of these uh, developers at these hackathons astounds me. Uh, I could never come up with some of these ideas. That's great. Um, the uh, the Battle Hack series is something uh, you 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 help run. Um, so, uh, is there anything happening with that at the moment? Uh, not that I know of. Uh, mm. That was a PayPal hackathon, which I think they may have went down now. Oh, um, okay. Something um, I can say is that we're organizing a, a hackathon with, um, with Telstra that probably be sometime mid-June, I would say. Mid-June. Okay, great. Um, is there a website where we could get information on that, or is it still in planning phases? Uh, still in planning, and I haven't announced it yet, so this is the first time. Oh, okay. Well, that's <laughs> a, uh, an exclusive for 3 Triple R Bite into it for that one. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, excellent. Thanks, thanks a bunch, Stephen. Um, do you have any um, other upcoming projects that you'd like to talk about? Um, nothing in particular. Um, I guess probably the biggest thing that we've been working on is just trying to open source um, a lot of our APIs and SDKs to sort of start getting more developer feedback, just you know, how we can make them better, how we can make experiences more seamless for some of our APIs. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that's great. Um, well, um and how, how can people get in contact with you if they have any questions or they're interested in uh, getting involved in, in that sort of work? Yeah, um, drop okay. us a line through dev.telstra.com mm -hmm. or um, like I'm developer Steve everywhere. So uh, <laughs> Twitter, I'm even on Weibo. So. Weibo, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're branching out. Got, got, um, got fingers in every pie. Uh, I like that. That's great. Um, so yeah, that's at developer Steve um, anywhere online. Um, you can find him. Um, I think we, we might let you go there, Steve. But thanks so much for calling in. Really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank, thank you for coming on the show. I'll see you later. Bye. Okay, bye. All right, that was uh, developer Stephen Cooper. Some of you may have heard that the World Health Organization has included a gaming disorder in its draft for the next edition uh, for the International Classification of Diseases, the ICD-11. Um, the inclusion um, of gaming disorder in the uh, classification of diseases... Um, is based on reviews of available evidence and reflects a consensus of experts from different disciplines and geographical regions that were involved, blah, blah, blah. So essentially, uh, through consensus from um, the World Health Organization, uh, sorry, I'm just reading verbatim from the uh, World Health Organization website, um, that the reasoning for the, uh, the inclusion. Um, so it's defined as... Uh, pattern of gaming behavior, digital gaming or video gaming characterized by impaired control over gaming, increasing priority given to gaming over other activities to the extent that gaming takes precedence over other interests in daily activities and continuation of escalation of gaming despite the occurrence of negative consequences. Um, so it's a, it's, it seems like it's a lot like a gambling addiction or any other addiction that impacts on the way we act in life um, and causes us to uh, um, be negligible with other aspects of our life. Uh, for it to be uh, diagnosed, the behavioural pattern must be of sufficient, su sufficient severity to result in significant impairment in uh, areas of uh, functioning and would normally have been evident for at least 12 months. Um, there's a response to this um, written by The Guardian um, asking whether the World Health Organisation are they right to class it as a health disorder? Um, there is a few experts discussing in this article and I would love to um, 
uh, hear your opinions as well. Um, so, the uh, Dr. Ned O. Weinstein, a senior lecturer in psychology at Cardiff University, um, agrees that it should be in there. Um, in our research, she says, we found very small correlations, if at all, of symptomology with broader life or being. Uh, sorry, uh, Dr. Netta Weinstein disagrees that uh, it should be in. Um, so we actually didn't find, for example, um, symptoms correlated with health directly. And without the kind of health effects you'd see in something like drug addiction, it might be something that we'd think of as addiction uh, is actually just an engagement and enthusiasm, um, which I'm sure that a lot of the wider gaming community would agree with that just because you, you play a lot of games, um, that doesn't necessarily mean you uh, have a disorder or you have a disease. Um, Whereas Professor Mark Griffiths of the Nottingham, Nottingham Trent University, who was part of the working party set up by the World Health Organization to look into the classification, um, says that the bottom line is problematic gaming, um, whether you call it a disorder, whether you call it an addiction, there's a small minority of people out there where gaming has completely taken over their lives. Um, it's been reported that in, in extreme cases, some people have played themselves to death, uh, though such incidents are extremely rare. Um, uh, statistics show that less than um, ten, one in 10 uh, or less than 10% of people in the West uh, show these symptoms where it actually affects uh, their lifestyle. But in uh, certain parts of Asia, it can be as high as 15%. Um, uh, so here, here is a little quote. Perhaps the habitually defensive games industry needs to admit that even in most games, even if most games are only as addictive as watching television or gardening or anything else that you enjoy doing, um, at least some elements of modern video games are closer to gambling. Um, this brings up the recent loot box controversy that, that has been circulating around where people are paying uh, real money to uh, gamble on and potentially get items that they want in the game. Um, for very unpredictable um, rewards, um, which is drawing the attention of, of regulators throughout the industry. Um, Weinstein um, says that we need to know that it's about the gaming itself or if we're treating something that's not actually the problem. So the question is that is the addiction to gambling, uh, to to gaming actually uh, a fault of the game or is it a fault of uh, the mental state of the person or the, the, the personality um, where, um, and if they're diagnosing the right things, which is why she is um, so uh, slow to endorse the World Health Organization's classification of, uh, of this disorder. Um, if you would like, the, uh, the, the article is called Dangerous Gaming uh, on The Guardian. So I, I suggest you look at that. Um, uh, it's a very interesting read. The time is now for Weird News of the Week. We've got a couple of things to talk about here. Um, there's a thing called deep fakes uh, floating around the internet, uh, which are essentially uh, videos created by machine le learning algorithms uh, to superimpose... Uh, faces onto already existing um, video. So you could uh, superimpose, uh, say, a celebrity's face or a politician's face onto uh, a source actor. Um, and it's, it's quite, it's, it's quite um, in the uncanny valley sort of, uh, sort of area but uh, it's good enough to fool like a majority of people. So there's a lot of uh, 
implications that that arises of, uh, say, a video coming out of uh, a politician right before an election uh, to ruin his reputation. Um, But of course, Reddit has gotten onto it um, immediately and used it to make some celebrity pornography. There's been a video uh, circulating of uh, Wonder Woman's Gal Gadot um, superimposed onto a porn actress's body in a creepy, almost convincing video. Um, But it was 100% predictable. Um, As soon as technology is there, of course, the internet is going to use it for something like that. There's a new Lost in Space on Netflix, which you can all go check out. Um, It strays from the original a little bit in that it's uh, much more dark um, and uh, less lighthearted and corny, I suppose, for anyone who's seen the original Lost in Space, but um, it's uh, been getting interesting reviews, so that's something that you might like to check out. Um, And in uh, local news, uh, Ballina's Big Prawn has... uh, (laughs) has had its face blurred out on Google Maps. Um, Google Maps obviously showcases large portions of the world and it has facial recognition software that blurs out people's faces to avoid potentially identifying them and has now suddenly decided that the big prawn needs its privacy. Um, Thanks to Reddit once again for that. Um, In events, uh, we have a thing called RubyConf, which is a technology conference uh, on the 8th and 9th of March in Sydney, organised by Ruby Australia. Um, Some of the speakers that you can expect at this conference are um, Sandy Metz with a keynote, uh, Jessica Rudder, (coughs) Michael Morris, developer at Disco, um, Paolo Peretta, uh, Ken Scrambler, and heaps more. I'm just scrolling down the site now. There's dozens of speakers that um, for anyone interested in tech um, that would be interesting to go to Um, I think you can still get tickets a majority of them are sold out but they still have a category called FOMO tickets for anyone who doesn't know what FOMO is it stands for fear of missing out Um, I'm guessing they're more expensive than regular tickets but I say get your boss onto it you should definitely head down Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. My name's Tyler Smythe. This has been Bite Into It here on 3RRR. Thanks so much to uh, developer Steve for coming in and having a chat. It was uh, great to talk to you, Steve. Um, we'll be back next Wednesday evening at 7pm, but stay tuned for the International Pop Underground with Anthony Carew. I can see him over there getting ready. So thanks a bunch, Anthony. I'm sure you'll have a great show. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.